I want to begin this morning with um, maybe two, one appeal and one thank you, uh, an appeal for your prayers and also a thank you. Um, as part of my doctoral program, I'm hitting the home stretch, and part of that is uh, specifically hoping to equip uh, guys who have either been called to preach or are preaching, and so that's kind of been a big hunger, thirst of mine of just to, I want to continue to develop. I realized when I started out, I didn't have anybody in my family that was in ministry. I had no clue what I was supposed to be doing. I don't have a ton of clue now. Um, but anyway, I've been sharing with the church. If you've been at some of our business meetings, you already knew about this, but in case you didn't, uh, we've tried to share with any of the guys in the church that have, have we know have been called to preach or are dealing with that. Um, but maybe you're here today and we weren't aware of you, or maybe I've in, somehow overlooked you. I want to invite you to come um, to be a part of this. Again, it's just going to be eight weeks, Monday nights, August through September. And uh, we'll just be talking practically how to develop sermons, walking through that step by step. And so really excited for that. So again, uh, I want to say thank you to the church for this opportunity to be able to, even be able to do this. And um, it's it's, so, it's open to all folks in, throughout Greene County. So there'll be folks from other churches coming to join us. And we're looking forward to that. But again, if somebody's here or maybe you know of somebody that might be interested in that, we'd love for them to join us. Starts tomorrow night. Um, we'll eat from 5 to 5.30 and then 5.37 we will launch each Monday night um, into becoming hopefully better preachers of the word. So uh, this morning we're going to continue our, our time here in Isaiah. Uh, pick up with Isaiah 53 guys. Listen, it's probably one of the most important richest passages we have from the Old Testament. Like if you're looking for a passage that talks about, hey, was there any identity about Jesus coming before he actually got here? Isaiah 53 is a place that you can land and you can just go all over it, seeing identity of who Jesus is. Remember, the prophet Isaiah writes somewhere in the period of 700 B.C., so this is 700 years prior to Christ even coming. So we're going to continue our our time in Isaiah and specifically this important passage here in Isaiah 53. A couple weeks ago, we were riding down the road and we were talking with one of our boys that there is a new principal at a school. And we said, hey, listen, I want you to know that the new principal actually used to be mommy's softball coach and her teacher. And I was like, dude, you got to understand what that means. Like mommy was constant green light, right? Like she was quiet. She did what teachers asked. Um, she was a good student. She competed well in the classroom and on the field. I was like, man, that principal is going to be looking the same for you, bro. And I was like, but now listen, if it was somebody that had your dad, they'd probably be wondering, oh, man, is he going to be like his dad? To which my son responds, Dad, I just wish you just knew you, right? Um, The reality is that some of you this morning maybe feel like you just wish God didn't know you quite as well as he does. This God who calls for a perfect life. But the truth is, just like the people of Isaiah's day, back in 700 B.C., 2,700 years removed, guess what? We still have the same struggles. We still go our own way. We still do what we want to do rather than what God calls us today. But today, listen, as you and I look, if I could share something with you, that today you could hear something that satisfies God, it satisfies Christ, and would satisfy you not only but now, but also forever. I wonder, would you be wanting to listen and hear? And what it sees today, or where we anchor today in this text is, is that it's Christ who died and was raised, not only for His satisfaction, not only for God's satisfaction, but also for our satisfaction. But before we get to that satisfaction, listen, we have to learn today what will never satisfy. 
And the truth is, listen, we're a culture that's consumed by satisfaction. I mean, the reality is every time you make a purchase, I don't know if you do or not, but I'm assuming that many of you, you give it either five stars or four stars. I'm assuming that many of you continually, maybe even this morning, have liked or disliked or you've given the anger emoji, the smile emoji, the cry emoji. You, I mean, you've been responding like constantly. We are giving our satisfaction on things that we encounter moment by moment, day after day. We are constantly responding. And Isaiah says, I want you to know this. Your own way will never satisfy. It will never satisfy. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 6 of Isaiah 53. All. We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So what is our own way? Well, it's indicating that our own way is actually going astray. Notice he says there, it's all and everyone. Right. So not just some of us here today are in trouble. Right. I mean, no matter how good you were in school or maybe how bad you were. Right. No matter whether you feel like you have a criminal record or you don't have a criminal record. This text says that we are all guilty and we are all condemned. Every single one of us. He says, listen, your own way indicates that, listen, you're trying to walk on a path that is not the path that God's designed for you. If you're with us Wednesday night, Mark walked through that, that we're created in God's image and, and God has laid before us this path that we are to walk. But instead of walking that path, Isaiah says that everyone has turned to what? Their own way. Be careful that you don't begin championing what God condemns. It was in 1916 that we have one of the maybe most familiar or even like famous poems that was ever written. Robert Frost's poem, right? You've heard it, that two, do- two roads diverge in a yellow wood and sorry I could not travel both. And he begins to talk about this moment of having this experience where these two paths seemingly lay before him and he had to choose one or the other. And listen to what he says a little bit later in the poem. And both that morning equally lay. In leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to what? Way. I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Some more ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Notice what Frost says. Again, this is one of our own poets. Listen to his words. Yet knowing how way what leads on the way. Right? I mean, there's a great danger in following your own way. Right? There's a danger that that drink leads to another drink. There's a danger that that look at that screen or that look at that person at your spouse leads to another look. There's a danger that that little bit of combo, that little bit of text message, that little bit of this leads to something else. There's a danger, listen... That that lie is going to lead to another bigger lie. There's a danger that that little bit of gambling leads to now a lot more bigger gambling. There's a danger that that little bit of anger that resides in you, that bitterness, can spark and become violent. And you say, Blake, listen, bro, it's, 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 it's not that big a deal. I have control over it. Listen to what Frost says. Again, this is one of our own poets. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should what? Ever come back. That's the danger of your own way this morning. That's the danger of the prophet Isaiah saying, and now Robert Frost in 1916 is writing to us. There's a danger in thinking that you can keep following that path and that you could somehow just stop at any point you want and come back. 
There's a danger in it. Listen, there's a danger this morning that you become your own God. You determine what that it's God's Word who's wrong and it's actually you that's right. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. We think our strain, our own way. Listen, we think that's ultimately what's best for us. How I feel trumps how God created me biologically or what I most identify with according to my gender trumps what God's created me for. We think that our own way will ultimately satisfy us, but it won't. Your own way will never satisfy. And Peter writes, citing this verse here in Isaiah 53 and 6 and 1 Peter 2 and 25, and he says this statement. We all were once strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and 25, we were all once strained like sheep, but now have returned. How do we return, right? Listen to this. Isaiah 53 and 6, you say, Blake, what is, almost entitled this message, what is Christianity? What is the gospel? If you want to capture real quickly what is Christianity or what is the gospel in one verse of the Bible, this would be one that I would bring you to. Isaiah 53 and 6. Listen to what it says. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, or the CSB says the Lord has placed on him, what? The iniquity of us all. Maybe even just boil it down a little bit simpler. I stated it this way. We strayed, but Christ paid. That's simply the gospel in Isaiah 53, 6. We strayed, but Christ paid. That is the hope of the gospel. And it's a reminder, listen, something had to step in because our own way will never satisfy. It will never lead us to God. And so the Lord had to step in and send us Christ. And so listen, this morning as we see it, guess what we're going to find out? This actually satisfies God. Christ died for His and our satisfaction. This is the hope that you and I would say, listen, not only does it satisfy Christ that He died on my behalf, but it satisfies me. It fills my longing. So look what He says here. Pick up verse 10 with us, verse of Isaiah 53. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to what? To crush Him. The CSB renders it The Lord was pleased to crush him severely. The death of Christ was for the satisfaction of God. Right? That not only sounds, listen, as you think about that for a moment, that not only sounds appalling, it almost sounds repulsive. How could anyone, especially a good and perfect just God, be pleased that an innocent person suffers for something they didn't do? This is the ultimate injustice, isn't it? Because not only is Christ not guilty of that crime, He's not guilty of any crime ever. And yet God says that He's pleased to crush His Son. It was His will to do that. But the truth is, it's not only was it pleasing to God for Christ to die. Listen to what the text says there in verse 53, verse 11. Out of the anguish of His soul. This is speaking of Christ. Out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be what? Out of anguish. Resulting from his death. And we're going to see in a moment. This is also speaking of his resurrection. But from the death of Christ. Listen. God and Christ are both satisfied. And we need to ask. Why? What is so satisfying to God and Christ. About the son of God dying. Even though he's innocent. As one who is actually guilty. 
How does that satisfy them? Three reasons, right? And we could, we could bring many, but let's bring three from the text right here for a moment. How the death of Christ satisfies both God and Christ. Number one is He's the only one who could pay the penalty. Look with me, you would. Again, back in verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief. When His soul, so listen, His soul, Christ had to do something personally, makes an offering for guilt. We can't make this offering. We're guilty. Right? So we are getting what we deserve, but Christ has done nothing wrong. And so therefore, listen, as verse 9 says, He had done no violence and there was no deceit in His mouth. There's finally one who can suffer even though He's not guilty. He's the only one that's now worthy to be able to pay that kind of penalty. Why? Because He has no sin to bear of His own. Right? I mean, He's He's innocent. And so He's the only one who can pay that penalty for someone else because everyone else would just be paying their own penalty. Do you see it? He's unique. And this satisfies God. Secondly, He's the only one that can justify. Look there in verse 11. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, not make all, but make many to be what? To be counted righteous. Now, counted righteous indicates it's something that you and I can't do on our own. This is the entire point of Paul in Romans 4. If you've walked with Paul in Romans 4, he's talking about how Abraham just believed God and God credited to him as what? As righteousness. Just by belief, by faith. Why? Because it's the one thing that ultimately satisfies God. Faith in the Son of God. And God now takes the perfect life of Christ and credits it to you. You stand before God as if you live Christ's life. Why? Because on the cross, He was standing in the presence of God as if He lived yours. And by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, this perfect life of Christ can be credited to you. And He's saying, listen, this servant, this righteous servant can make many to be accounted righteous. And so this, listen, satisfies God. His Right? Because God is just. He demands justice for sin. And so therefore, because God is just, there must be an account of every single sin. And so now there's a perfect sin bearer who comes and goes to the cross and suffers the judgment of God upon the cross as if he was guilty. Why? Because now God's justice, His demand of holiness can be satisfied. And yet at the same time, He can now offer grace and mercy to you who come under this precious blood this sacrifice becomes yours he's dying in your place it's the idea of substitution thirdly this brings satisfaction to god and to christ and his death why because he's the only one again who can bear someone else's sins look what he says here verses 11 and 12 my servant make make many to be accounted righteous notice what it says here he shall bear their iniquities further verse 12 because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. He's carrying their sin. He's doing something for them that we can never do for ourselves. This builds upon the fact that he's sinless, right? But he's also God. And so because he's God, listen, he can absorb the wrath of God. He can take on the just demand of holiness of God and not be ruined. If this comes to you and I, listen, if you refuse to sacrifice, you will be condemned. You will experience, as Paul says, the wrath of God. 
But there's Jesus who is the rescuer. How? Because He comes and bears our sins. He takes on our iniquities. I wonder today, do you see your need of that? Do you see your sin today? That you have need of this? That there's even any... Like, how is this even satisfying? You've got to see your sin. So last week... I was kind of camped over here and just preparing myself for the Lord's Supper as they were passing the plate around. And I had one boy here and one boy there. And, and um, one thing I try to intentionally do is just have moments. I want to prepare myself, but I'm also trying to help my kiddos understand. Like, do you, do you kind of see what's happening here? Do you understand what we're doing? In the midst of doing that, one of my boys informs me, Dad, your breath is bad. And the other one's like, yeah. And so I respond with simply this. I'm sorry, guys. I know it's pretty bad. I'm sorry. And uh, to which they respond, and your teeth are yellow. (laughs) And the other one's like, yeah, Dad, they are. Now listen, prior to that moment, did I have a hunch that my breath was bad? Yes. Did I have some clarity that my teeth are yellowing? Yes. But in that moment with children, I became keenly aware that what was maybe a little bit obvious to me was very obvious to others. Some of you think your sin's not that yellow. Some of you think your sin doesn't stink that bad this morning. I'm telling you that either you get it right now or you'll stand before a holy God and figure out how bad it stinks and how yellow it really is. You might need some kiddos to tell you the truth in your life. Today you have God's Word here to speak that kind of kid truth to you. To tell you the truth. That there's only one who can bear the yellowness of your sin. There's only one who could take on your stench. And He took it in the presence of a holy God as if He did it Himself. Bearing that for you. I wonder, does this not leave you satisfied this morning? Are you satisfied that you could never pay the penalty of sin? But He could and He did. Therefore, you never have to answer for it. I'm fearful that many of you, listen, maybe the Rolling Stones was, were right about your life. The, one of their pop great hits of 1965. Listen to what it says. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't what? I can't. Come on, some of you listen to it. I know you do. Complain like you don't. You in church. I get it. We don't listen to that. All right? Complain. But listen, I think the stones were on to something here, right? Look what it says. I try, I try, I try, I try, but I can't get no what? That's where some of you are. The stones are singing about your life because you've been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and you can't get no satisfaction. Why? Because there's only one who can ultimately satisfy you, and that is Christ. So you can keep it on loop, you can keep it on repeat, you can keep trying the things that you're trying, but they will never, ever satisfy. Only Christ can satisfy. Are you satisfied this morning that by grace alone, that nothing you've done or ever will do to earn or deserve it, that you can be received before a holy God, justified, innocent, as if you've never sinned? Does the death of Christ not satisfy you? 
It's an amazing thing to think that the death of Christ satisfied God, but it doesn't satisfy so many of us. It's an amazing thing to think this morning that the death of Christ satisfied Christ, and yet it doesn't satisfy so many of us. Oh, the danger of our own way. But listen, Christ is not simply satisfied that He died. Now this passage written here 700 B.C., right? 2,700 years ago, reminds us that Christ is not only satisfied in His death, but also in His resurrection. Christ was raised for His and our satisfaction. Back to verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief. Now watch what happens here. I think there's three things that result as a a part of God's being pleased, His will to crush His Son on the cross, putting His Son to grief, experiencing the judgment that we deserve. Listen, I think three things kind of pop up from this text right here, right? So we're going to try to maybe bring those three out real quickly. Number one is this. Listen to what he says. When His soul makes an offering for guilt. Sorry, I kind of messed it up there. It should be included there. He shall see his offspring. Look what he says further again. Back to verse, two, verse 11. You already heard it though. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. The, the Christian standard says that after the anguish of his soul. It indicates that something happens post after his death. Something takes place as a result after this death. This one, listen, even though he dies, he now sees, he now lives. Right? He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. His resurrection, listen, it brings about so many things. It, listen, it indicates the fact, look, look what it says here. He shall see his offspring. Kind of got ahead of myself. Hold on there. He shall see his offspring. Christ is satisfied by what he sees. Those for whom he died and paid their penalty, listen, he sees you. Washed. Of everything you've ever done. He sees you justified, innocent. He sees you sanctified, becoming more and more like Christ. He sees you ultimately glorified in the very presence of God. And it satisfies Him that you would receive what His death and resurrection have accomplished by grace alone. Listen, Christ sees this. Does this not? Listen, Christ sees you. He's satisfied. Not because today you were somehow good enough or you came to church or you've had the best week. Or Listen, it's what Christ has done that makes you worthy. Quit deriving your worth from what you see in the mirror every day. Stop. Let His sacrifice become what satisfies your soul. And let it keep you from searching like the stones for trying and trying and trying and trying. But you can't get no satisfaction. Secondly, look what it says here. He shall prolong his days. See that statement there. So his, his soul makes an offering for get. His, when his soul makes an offering, he, he sees his offspring. And secondly, look what it says. He shall prolong his days. Romans 6 and 9 says, Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Listen to that. Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. And now because He sees His offspring, notice that again, He sees His offspring, they too 
have their days prolonged in the fact that they never die again. I don't know what this means to you, but I can imagine what this must mean to a gentleman that I don't even know. We were eating a few weeks ago and a gentleman walks up to our table and makes a comment about our children and just enjoying watching them. And I was like, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm not sure I am quite at the moment. Um, And then he shares a story. He looks at our boys and just simply says this statement. Don't ever leave your brother behind. He kind of, my wife and I just shares briefly, the boys may have overheard some, but he said that as a young boy, he and his brother were out playing in the creek, the river area, and they'd been playing for some time, and their dad yelled that it was time to eat. He being, I think, the older brother turned and ran back to the house. And he said, I never saw my brother again. I don't know how many years it had been. It had been a long time. The gentleman was older. And there in that restaurant a few weeks ago, there was brokenness in his heart as he shared that hope with my boys that they wouldn't leave a brother behind. I don't know what it means to you, but I'm guessing to that gentleman to think that there's a place where no one will ever die again, will never be that kind of heartache, where you won't have to go on with guilt for years and years because maybe just some simple decision as a kid, you turned and ran back to dad. There's going to come a place because of Christ's death and resurrection that people will never die again. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait for that day. He shall prolong His days. This is the hope of the Gospel. Thirdly, because of this sacrifice, it says the will of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. Revelation 5 depicts this taking place. John is there and he sees that there's a scroll and no one can open it. No one's found worthy. And then finally, this, as you sang there this morning, this roaring lion steps forth. The lion of the tribe of Judah is conquered. We hear this, 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 listen to what it says. And they sang a new song. Right? New songs aren't bad. Hallelujah. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Listen. It is prospering in His hand. He is taking and listen what He accomplished through His death and resurrection. It is coming about. And beloved, if you will believe in Him, you too will be a part of His glorious kingdom. Listen. I don't know if you're satisfied by that right now, but I want you to know that the people in heaven are. Listen to what happens here. This is the picture of the response of the people in heaven, how satisfied they are by what His death and resurrection has accomplished. Look what it says there. Verse 11. John says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne. He describes these living creatures, these 24 elders, all these things that are taking place. Look what he says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The church breaks out in praise. Why? Because they finally found the ultimate satisfaction to what they couldn't get anywhere else. It is Christ. His death. His glorious resurrection has now become theirs. So how should the satisfied people live? Maybe just a couple things in closing. One, remember that your own way will never work. 
No matter how many video games or soap operas you turn to, it will never satisfy your life long enough. No matter how much pornography seems to satisfy in a moment, you'll be later hungering for something else. No matter how good it feels to gossip or know the next juicy good details, listen, you'll constantly need new info and fresh details on someone or something else. No matter how much some of you are trying to earn your way into heaven or to pay God back for what He's done on the cross, listen, it'll never work. Your own way will never work. Let this satisfaction, listen, let the satisfaction of Christ rule over every area of your life. I have several different applications I could give and I'm going to ask, Kyle, do you care to come and share that this morning? I don't know if any of you guys are... In Sunday school or not, man, I'm telling you, just there's just there's just a great time of fellowship in God's Word, of hearing from Him, and just so much of God's truth. I encourage you. I need it for my own soul. But this morning, it's just a reminder. Listen, there's things in Sunday school you might not hear other places. And this morning, we are the story. I mean, I, brother, I would love for you just to come and share that in closing this morning with us. I've got all kinds of application written down, but I, I want to hear him share this with you. And I may just make make a couple statements in closing. Kyle, do you care to come? And Bobby D, can we use this wireless? Would that be okay? I did ask him briefly when we walked out the door, so this You're is not fine. total. You're fine. We, our lesson this morning, we was talking about why humility is important uh, when we're asking God for wisdom. And uh, I myself, I, I have, I, I struggle with that uh, in being humble when I ask the Lord to help me with things. Uh, you know, being a mechanic and uh, a farmer, it's things that I've done a thousand times over and over and over, and I think, well, hey, I can do that. You know, well, you know, I, there's no need in dropping to my knees and asking God to help me because I, 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 I can do it. I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. I can do it. I'm smart enough. Uh, Doug Smith's going to relate to this story here in a minute. We had a John Deere tractor that had a sleeve broke off in it back in the in the uh, early spring, and I worked for three solid days trying to get those sleeves out of that motor. And uh, one Saturday morning, Doug actually stopped down my shop, and uh, we had broke that sleeve off even with the block, and, and it wasn't coming out. I had asked different people what to do. Nobody knew, and I had actually called some mechanics to come down that morning and look at that motor and tell me what to do. And Doug was actually at the shop, and they left, and everybody left, and... My brother just turned and went to the corner, and I just said, Lord, help me. Show me how to get this thing out of here, because if you don't, this motor's junk, and I can't afford another one. Just show me how to get that out. And I had a sleeve puller, and I dropped that sleeve puller back down in there after I asked the Lord to help me. And I made two jacks with that jack, and that sleeve pulled out. But that taught me at that point to humble myself to God, and it'll happen. It wasn't on Kyle's time. It wasn't on Kyle's will. I knew how to get it out. I had the proper tools and the proper equipment to do it with, but I had to ask God to help me with that. And it was just a certain way that thing had to be set in there to come out. And the Lord just helped me do that at that time. And that's, you know, they asked why humility was important when we was asking God for wisdom. That's because we got to humble ourselves to Him. We got to be willing to receive what God's going to tell us. And if we don't humble ourselves to Him and we're not... Humble about it, we're not going to receive what he's telling us at that time. So, Listen, beloved. 
when I heard Kyle sharing the story, I thought I was going to walk away thinking he's a master mechanic. I walked away thinking a master God. What do people think about when they hear your stories? They think master teacher, master farmer, master business person, or they think master God. There's a, this, listen, let this satisfaction rule over every area of your life. Let it humble you that you call out and desperately need this God to transform your marriage, your home, to empower you to lead and do all that God's calling. Listen, as a church, if Christ's death and resurrection become our ultimate satisfaction, if it has, then does your serving in this church, does it reveal that you're most satisfied in what He has done and not most satisfied in your work or most satisfied in, in your job or most satisfied about sports or academics or music or the arts. Like, this is ultimate satisfaction. This is how I'm going to ultimately invest my life in His kingdom. Does your giving, does it reveal the fact that you are most satisfied in Him and what He's done for you? This morning as our musicians make their way, just one final question maybe. Your way or Christ's way? Your life satisfaction and your eternal satisfaction depend upon your answer to that question. Your way or Christ's way? Your life and your eternal satisfaction depend upon your answer to that question. This morning, would you stand in worship? Would you come receiving the forgiveness of Christ this morning? Would you come?